Welcome to The Handoff, the podcast for nurse leaders from Trusted Health. I'm Dr. Danny Bowie. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Brian Wearich, the System Chief Nursing Informatics Officer for Banner Health System. He's a nurse leader with a passion for new ideas to lessen the documentation burden for frontline nurses. He believes in reducing physical tasks and enabling decision support tools for nurses to free them up to focus on what they do best, taking care of patients. You'll hear Brian's shared passions in technology, startup entrepreneurship, and leadership, and how those combined passions have motivated him to find new ways to empower nurses to succeed. Let's dive in. Brian, welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Excited to talk to you. Yeah, me too. You know, I've been talking with a lot of leaders across the country around workforce flexibility, and I've talked to a variety in different roles, different health systems, but you are our first CNIO. And I've studied a bit of your background, Brian, and you have a really unique kind of upbringing into the space that you're currently in. And so I would just love it if you could share briefly a little bit about your professional journey and background and what led you to your current role at Banner Health? Okay, yeah, this uh, it's been an interesting journey for me. I've taken some uh, non-traditional paths, but I, uh, I wanted to be a nurse uh, in high school and I wanted to be a flight nurse. I, I went into the profession, I wanted to fly in the helicopter, wear the fancy suit. So I graduated nursing school or graduated high school, went to nursing school, pursued my associate degree. That's all I needed. And that was, uh, that's what I needed to accomplish my goal. I met my wife in nursing school. And from there, we took our first jobs at the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. I'm from Ohio. I worked in the ICU. I was strictly working to do what was needed to get on a helicopter. From there, I went to Ohio State Medical Center uh, and recovered open hearts at Ohio State. Loved that. Spent a lot of years at Ohio State. Uh, it was there, though, when I got my years in, I went to pursue flight and was told there are heightened weight restrictions to fly, and I exceeded both of them. <laughs> I, I'm a bigger guy. I played college football. Uh, I was never taught that, and I was kind of crushed uh, at the time. I didn't know what I was going to do. I guess that's a good thing about nursing. There's a lot of paths, and it was actually a mentor of mine at Ohio State. I was in like an emerging leaders class, and it was the CEO who was like, Brian, do you like what you're doing? And I said, well, I do. I like being an ICU nurse, but this was not the plan. I wanted to get on a helicopter. And he said, I think you should think about getting into leadership. You seem very business-minded, very entrepreneurial. You should consider leadership. And that's what it took. It took a mentor to tell me that, to head down this path. So uh, from there, my journey has taken me kind of all across the country. I went back to first, back to school. I got my bachelor's, master's, doctorate degree, took uh, roles with different scopes and ambulatory, inpatient, periop to learn all those facets of what healthcare is. Traveled around the country, and it wasn't until I landed in my first CNO role in 2016. Um, I was back in the Midwest at a large academic health system, and this is pre-COVID. I was trying to solve the problem of nurses making errors at the bedside, and I, I even felt like then there was a nursing shortage and the quality of nurse we were getting isn't necessarily what it used to be. And so I really branched out into the startup, healthcare startup world. I went down that rabbit hole with the local startup community and then the national startup community, met a lot of interesting people. And that really kind of got the innovation bug. Like, hey, let's solve problems truly in a novel way, not what's published out there as evidence. Like, let's get a novel solution. And uh, from there, I relocated out to Arizona about two and a half years ago, 
uh, came out here. My wife, my kids came out here, got a job with Banner Health as a facility CNO at one of the large academic health systems or the large level one dramas was here. And even in that role, uh, I was kind of the innovation guy. Um, I was really focusing on virtual nursing during the pandemic. Uh, I have a background in natural language processing and artificial intelligence, machine learning. I was really trying to bring new tools to the forefront for solutions for COVID. And then our chief nursing informatics officer left. I came in and, you know, I came in as the interim and I wasn't, uh, I made it clear like, hey, I don't love the electronic health record and I have too much energy to just focus on this and uh, was really given permission. Hey, we really need to, the role needs to evolve. It doesn't have to look like it always looked. Um, So it's really evolved a little bit to focus on uh, merging with emerging technologies and then how can we really build new models of care and then reducing the documentation burden um, should be a byproduct if we accomplish those first two. So that's what's led me here today. That's impressive. I was listening and and I was getting tired as I was listening. I was like, man, the journey that you've been on and the experiences that you had is just phenomenal. And uh, the I think the depth and breadth of that experience is quite unique. I love that you knew that you wanted to be a nurse even in high school and that you stuck to that vision and then the vision expanded and grew as you got more experience and and exposure into these different spaces. And another thing that I think really resonated with me that you were talking about was how you were really trying to solve problems. You went into these different roles with a mindset of problem solving and through the problem solving, bringing innovation and new ways of operating to clinical practice at at any level. Um, And so that's just very inspiring to me and something that I think is a good pulse check for a lot of leaders is, you know, looking at at what are you trying to solve and letting that be your true north in a lot of things that you do here. Now, as uh, I've been talking to leaders across the country, as I mentioned in the intro around flexibility and you know, we're going to jump into and dive into a bit more of the some of the innovative work that you're doing at Banner Health System. Um, but before we go down that path, uh, I'm curious from your perspective, you know, what flexibility means to you as a nurse leader and what does it mean to the, to the nurses that you lead? And as I mentioned, you have that depth and breadth of experience in a variety of roles from the startup space and innovation to CNO of large hospitals, as well as you know, system CNIO for Banner Health. What does flexibility mean to you as a nurse leader? And then what do you think it means to the workforce that you're also leading? And this is in terms of the workforce. And oftentimes what I'm seeing in the literature is just the tagline of flexibility. It's a hot topic. Everyone's putting it out there. But I really want to know, what does it mean to you as a leader? And what is it? what do you think it means to the, the nurses that you lead today? Yeah, that's a a great question. I could really go into multiple levels of this uh, with flexibility and work-life balance. Let me take this kind of into two parts. So flexibility for me, uh, and then I think it resonates. I can really kind of speak for a generation. Things are different. What matters to the nurses coming into the workforce, we'll call them the early careerists. You know, they were shaped by different milestones and their priorities are very different. They're not worried about health insurance when they graduate. They can stay on mom and dad's health insurance life experiences are important to myself and to them. Uh, So what does flexibility mean? As things in life change, the global pandemic, nurses who are starting families and aging nurses who are taking care of aging parents, 
uh, it's not the same journey throughout. And I, I really want an employer who's going to work with me as the individual, as Brian, as I go through these life changes. And my wife is a nurse, so we're very fortunate we didn't lose jobs during the pandemic, uh, but we know a lot of people who did. And we have to have some empathy and some flexibility to work with people through these life changes. And that's going to mean scheduling, but hey, I also, I heard about chat GPT. What does this mean? Who can teach me about this? We've got a large uh, Hispanic population here in Arizona. So a lot of people want to learn Spanish. What resources do we have for people to learn this? And if they make an effort to go learn this skill, again, we have to be flexible uh, with them. Uh, just do these life milestones because it's different. But we're so we're so rules based, and that there isn't there often is no flexibility. And I often preach that, hey, as long as things are fair and equitable, we got we need things to be fair and equitable. But with life changes, I'm not saying you have to make exceptions, but you have to be flexible because nurses and nurse leaders have so many choices. Uh, if I hit a hard stop that doesn't align with what I need or what my personal life goals are or my family life goals, I'm going to go somewhere else. So we have to meet people in the middle. You bring up a good point about, I'm asking, you know, what does flexibility mean to leaders as they're leading their workforce and ensuring that there's scheduling and options and moving through the life journey. But what you also referenced was that there's the ability of the workforce and the nurse to choose where they go. So right now, we're living in an era and a time of choice and flexibility around who we choose as an employer. And so we have the ability to move and look for new opportunities if by, for some chance, we're working with an employer that isn't meeting our, our life needs. And so I think you're calling out something that's really important for leaders and health systems to hear is that there's a lot of flexibility of choices for the initial entry point and then the depth of flexibility in the organization could sustain or help your workforce, you know, retain and work at that organization and being mindful of that and um, moving from a place of, you know, rigid rules to understanding how to adapt to, to life changes. As we think about life changes, though, and, and how important that is in the journey of our careers, from your perspective, is there anything that you would recommend for nurse leaders to do or health systems to do to be more flexible or agile or nimble in meeting the life journey of the workforce that you know a lot of nurse leaders are leading today? One of my previous employers was taking this journey kind of through their high reliability organization journey. Uh, and that's where the quote, uh, we want to go from rules-based to values-based really came from. And I, although I'm no longer with them, I've really adopted that philosophy. And it is just that, hey, we need to see people as an individual. This is the dress code and tattoos, and people need to be able to express themselves in different ways. Uh, and we have to work with them for that. Again, if we if we draw this box and put people in it, they're not going to be happy and enjoy, who, which became the fourth quadrant of the quadruple aim. The previous triple aim became the quadruple aim when we added physician satisfaction and employee satisfaction. And, and this is a part of it. And scheduling is a part of it too. Um, you know, we historically have always been, you know, you have to work your weekend obligation every other weekend. Uh, and an example of something I dealt with recently, there was a team member who wanted, uh, she wanted to work every weekend. The weekends that were being scheduled were like Friday and Saturday. That was considered the weekend. And she wanted to work every Saturday, Sunday, because she was taking care of uh, an aging parent uh, and didn't have help during the week, just on the weekends. So she wanted to work weekends. And the rule was, hey, the weekend obligation is Friday, Saturday. And this is an idea of like, no, we have to work with this employee. 
Uh, she wants to work more than her weekend obligation, you know, every Saturday, uh, but additionally Sunday, which is a hard to ske- frequently a hard to schedule day. We're not we're not cheating everybody else by not making her work weekend, and that's where you know that's where it would come in if if they can opt out of weekend. She's willing to work more than her share, but the rules were you have to work the Friday Saturday, and and we that was one uh, I hate to use the term exception, but we had to be flexible for that. Let me take it another step further with kind of the flexibility, and I'll switch it to I think work-life balance is a term that a lot of people use. And I tell my teams, and I think I adopted this from General Electric, a book coming out of GE that said, there's no such thing as work-life balance. They're work-life choices, and you have them, and you make them. And I truly agree with that. Um, To personalize this a little more, in 2019... My, one of my older brothers was getting married and he was just under 40 and he was talking about a bachelor party. And he said, you know, most of his friends were married with kids. So a traditional bachelor party was probably out of the question. And he said, let's go do a bucket list item. Let's do the Mount Everest base camp track. And if we're going to be over there, let's extend it and do the three pass extension. And I would love to climb a mountain, any mountain in the Himalayas. So this was overall, this was a month long journey with minimal cell phone service and at the time, I was in a vice president role. And um, it had not been uncommon for me to go off the grid for a weekend or maybe a week, but never a month. But this to me was, I felt like, a great opportunity to do a once-in-a-lifetime thing, check a bucket list item, and then do it with one of my brothers. So I booked this trip. I paid for it, had the flights, and I sat on it for like seven months. I was really nervous about asking for a month off. And I told my wife, who is super supportive of this hobby of mine, and she says, you know, what if they say no? And I said, well, I'm going on this trip. And if they say I can't go, I'll quit and I'll find a new job when I get back. I'm a nurse. You're a nurse. I can find a job. Even if it's not a leadership job, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. But I'm not going to turn down this opportunity. And I left in March of 2019, and it was December. I was at the holiday, the Christmas holiday party. And I approached my boss, probably with an alcoholic beverage in me, and said, <laughs> hey, I, I just booked this trip for a month to go to Mount Everest, and are you okay with it? And I didn't get a, net, a yes right away, but about a week later, it came back and said, yeah, it seems like a great opportunity. You should go and you know, I can't wait to hear about it. And they really took a great approach and was supportive, but I would have left. And I still feel that way today. And I often see this in the early careers, the new generation coming in. So we, we have to work with, because it, it was as personal to me. So when they say I've got this great opportunity or, you know, there was a time when I would have three to five nurses all resigned together because they were going to go do a travel assignment in California. And I'm like, that sounds like the most fun ever. And how do you say no to that? But how do we set them up to make sure that when they want to settle, they come back? They're all in Arizona. They graduated nursing school here. Like, this is a great opportunity. I can't fault you for that. It sounds like a lot of fun with friends to go live in California and help out in the pandemic. But how can we get you to come back and then work with them about holding their seniority and a spot on their unit? Because they there's no orientation required to come back and they'll probably learn more critical thinking and new new skill sets and how to do things differently and that so just to work with those people but i think about that a lot and during the pandemic here because i live in arizona and we're so rich in outdoor activities we built a spreadsheet of bucket list items like here's the hikes here's the mountain bike trails here's the waterfalls go do this uh, we want you to get out um, and explore and then potentially stay 
And then I wrote an article that published last October called Nature, uh, a post-pandemic prescription. And it just ties all the literature about the benefits of getting outdoors and being in nature and seeing sunrises and sunsets and how it helps with PTSD symptoms. And so now I encourage people to go do this. And for me, the higher the mountain, the more remote, the better. So when I when I hear people that have done these adventures or people, you know, the, the respiratory therapist I've seen every day who tells me she's an ultra runner, like, oh my gosh, that is so cool. And I've connected with people on a different way. And then we would do like try to get like Saturday hikes and group hikes and walk with a doc, some, some initiatives, but to do that, to get people outside. And then those that truly are um, looking for adventure to work with them so they can do this and have a, have a reset. Cause we, we need that with what we've been through the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, uh, that's a phenomenal story. And even your mindset around how you engage the existing workforce around their desire for new opportunities, flexibility, work-life balance, or work-life um, opportunities. And, you know, you're leading from this place of holistic approach, allowing them to have experiences, not burning bridges, maintaining this open door opportunity. Because you're right, you know, they they started their career in Arizona, the example that you gave of the, those, the five that resigned for a travel experience. And I know a lot of health systems would be very upset or a lot of leaders would take it personally. It's hard not to. But being able to look beyond the immediate to say, this will build into your professional experience. Uh, it'll give you opportunity to bond with your friends. And in fact, when you come back, we have a place for you and you're going to bring some institutional knowledge from your experience at other places that will be valuable to us. I view that right there as an example of transformational leadership. We talk about transactional versus transformational and that to me is truly transformational leadership and it's uh, generosity that's being exhibited in how you treat people. And it came from a place of, you know, hey, I'm, I, I operate this way. I, I like these experiences and these are meaningful to me. Um, so that's a really powerful approach and experience. And thank you for sharing that. And it makes me want to be a better leader and lead that way as well. Can we talk a bit more around you know, your innovation and technology space and how you're thinking about that for Banner Health and some of your current initiatives and what you're doing there to bring innovation and ease the documentation burden for your bedside nurses? Yeah. So this started, again, I went down this path in 2000, I guess, 16 through 20. I was trying to solve that. We had the nurses coming into the workforce. I, I felt like there was a, a learning curve there. The specific problem I was trying to solve was like med errors. And you know, when a nurse goes into a room to give a medication, they should know what medication they're giving, why they're giving it, what the side effects could be so they can teach the patient what to look out for. Uh, and I don't know that they they do that because we're very task focused, right? We're stretching ratios. People would use that term. And patients' the acuity is just higher. Um, so patients are sick and nurses, especially those that have come into the profession recently, you know, had maybe not the greatest clinical experience during the pandemic or no clinicals at all, perhaps. But so we have my job as a leader is to give them the tools to be successful. So we had like Mosby's drug guide book at every nurse's station and you could go to the computer and log into various drug databases and other databases for how to do procedures and look up diseases. And I just don't think they were doing it because they're too busy. So they had this knowledge gap. And about this time, uh, Alexa and Siri were very popular and that technology, natural language processing is so easy. 
So I actually reached out to Amazon. I was like, hey, I'll, I'll buy these. I'll bring these Alexa devices in. But I need to know where the information comes from. I do not want a nurse to get information that comes from the World Wide Web. I have to have total control about what databases they're accessing. And Amazon was great. They said, you know, this is not our model. You can teach Alexa skill, though, and that platform's free. So I created Arnie spelled A-R-N-I, a combination of AI artificial intelligence and RN registered nurse, and taught Alexa the skill of Arnie. And I taught Arnie um, just certain databases, Lippincott databases or EBSCO or Elsevier, whichever one your health system would use, and put a team together from Purdue graduates and did the, raised a bunch of venture capital and Learned a ton in this health space doing kind of the Shark Tank thing and what the definition of bootstrapping before you've raised venture capital. And uh, it was a great learning experience for me. And during that, I went to Northwestern and took classes on artificial intelligence, machine learning. I really wanted to understand what we were doing. So I have that background and I tend to go to a natural language processing. This is the future. Big data, massive data dumps and have an algorithm that can read through it immediately and make a recommendation this is this is the future you have to be able to play in this sandbox and get very comfortable with this so i bring that into my cnio role and that's kind of how the role has evolved i really have three approaches um, to work right now how can we eliminate decision making for nurses so what this means you know we have the a lot of people have the early warning systems you can read a set of vital signs and it might trigger hey this patient might be at risk of going septic it'll send an alert and in addition to those uh hey this is what we just saw we're going to trigger this care plan for you this patient needs to ambulate they probably need a walker and we'll start alerting and start auto firing care plans to, for the nurses to follow so they're not worried about i guess just it it makes the decision for them any nurse driven protocol when the data meets the criteria, we want an alert that tells the nurse, hey, there's a nurse-driven protocol, go ahead and pull that fully out. Um, again, just to take that decision-making away from them. As I'm listening, eliminate decision-making, is it is it also more of like decision support or like, hey, this is a decision you need to make, but you got action on it. But the reason I'm asking is because like I worked in a space of like Muse, like early warning system, but it wasn't titrated the right way for the population that I serve. And so, in fact, some of the decision points of like they're heading into this space is like, well, they actually weren't because they are a COPD patient. We weren't calibrating, you know, their respiratory rate or their, or their O2 rate the right way. So I was getting over notified. And so it, is it the clinical decision making piece? But it's reducing, like, it's guiding that decisioning. Is that correct? Or help elaborate just a little bit more. Yeah, that's no, okay. and I, actually, your term is, is, probably, is probably the more correct term. So you have to have that human in the loop uh, to verify everything. I'm, I'm more pro artificial intelligence machine learning than most people, and it's still not a perfect science. So you have to have that human in the loop somewhere in the loop to verify, uh, yeah, this is a COPD patient. We expect those numbers to look like that just to verify what it is. So it, it is more that decision support or decision guidance. I use the term nudge, and that's probably the best way to think about it. You have to have these clinical nudges uh, to make sure people are thinking, but you you can never replace critical thinking in a nurse. That's just not that's just not there. And I'll I'll probably die on that hill that you know a, a nurse that can look at a patient regardless of what the numbers are saying and have that intuition. That's a that's a skill set that we really need to keep. Hundred percent agree. We're aligned there. 
<laughs> I knew that that's kind of that was what it was referencing, but I wanted a bit more clarity around uh, just how it was being positioned into you know the space for the workforce and anything. I, I mean, as a nurse, anything that would help me make a better decision, I'm all for. But I just was kind of curious how it was all coming together. So thank you on yeah. elaborating about that. So, but the next part is eliminate physical tasks. And I do mean eliminate. Where can we, what are nurses <laughs> doing that I don't want them to be doing? So at Banner, we don't use Moxie, the robot. But a lot of people have had a lot of success with Moxie. And I've I've done a ton of um, literature reviews. I know a couple of people have done DMP projects on Moxie. And uh, I'm not paid by Moxie, but it seems to truly have a benefit that can help. So this is the robot that can go run labs down or get towels and re restock the linens. And these are tasks that, you know, if you, if you truly want nurses working top of scope, they shouldn't be doing this stuff. And if you can automate that, that's great. Banner, we're just, we're not at a point where we've rolled that out yet, but I'm a big fan to everyone using that. Uh, and then if you can eliminate the physical task of charting by maybe someone else doing it. So if you have a virtual nurse program up and running, uh, being able to talk to the virtual nurse and say, hey, I just did this central line dressing change. Can you chart that for me? It's better for the virtual nurse to do that. So the bedside nurse can go on to the next task that has to be done by a nurse at the bedside, like changing a central line dressing. Uh, we definitely want to go that direction. So those are the two focuses. And the third one is uh, reducing the documentation burden really in any way that we can. And the team here had always been, let's reduce clicks. We need to, how many clicks does it take for a nurse to chart this? I want to reduce that. And we're adding clicks faster than we're reducing them. So I really want to take a different approach. Uh, even the way we do document, if you're not documenting by within defined limits using a focused assessment, it's maybe something to consider uh, as opposed to nurses feel obligated if there's an empty cell to put something in there uh, and that they we create that problem ourselves. So take those cells away from them so they don't feel that way. Uh, and then again, the natural language processing. Physicians use this to solve the documentation burden years ago the dragon and M modal, but they chart in a narrative format when they're doing an HMP or something like that. Uh, nurses have a very structured way to chart with cells within Epic or Cerner or any other kind of electronic health record. And the technology didn't used to exist, but now it does that you can pull out pieces and parts of a, a narrative saying and plug those into those key cells. So I have spent the last year really going down this path, um, working with reaching out to startups, work, reaching out to big companies, um, the big players in the tech space and saying, here's where I want to go. Can you help us get there? And to varying degrees, everyone has said yes, or has waited to see kind of what we are, what we're learning. Uh, we have had a, in the last six months, a couple companies come on site and do demos for nurses. And the feedback was amazing. Just the fact that, and this was a, a minimum viable product, a simple prototype, but the nurses could engage with it and then wrap their head around what this could become and the time that it could save. A hundred percent. Yeah. I like how you said, feel fast, share. It's, from what I'm listening to uh, in regards to your journey and who you are, you sound like a lifelong learner and you just have a, a big appetite for learning new things. Um Again, it's a it's a great trait, and uh, I think actually Harvard Business Review published an article around high achievers, and one of the qualities was lifelong learning. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention, I would agree with you around automation, reducing clicks, particularly uh, my focus has always been in staffing and scheduling and understanding the technology that exists. And that is one of the reasons I joined Trusted is because we have developed technology to reduce 
the, I wouldn't call it documentation burden, but the click burden associated with workforce management, staffing. We've automated the space and we've reduced the need for managers and leaders to send out, you know, text messages, one-off group messages here or there, and provided intelligence around intelligent shift pricing, who this should go to, when, where shift should go, when it should go, at what price point. I mean, it's phenomenal. And it's just changing the game of how we can automate and move from a space of doing tasks and moving people around on a schedule or sending off a message to knowing that it's getting done for us and we're getting the analytics around it. But it still is a bit of an uphill battle for change in this space. It's something that's not widely done and can be somewhat of a challenge in accepting just because, you know, we've done things for 30 years a certain way. And so now it's kind of, it's, it's turning it upside down in the industry. So exciting times. And I'm with you in the space of automation, reduced, reducing burden. And I viewed it, I studied it in a different way. One last question around the technology that you founded how is that coming into play? Like, is that is that still alive? Are you doing pilots? Um, is that something that Banner's looking at? And maybe, I, you know, again, we can take that out if I shouldn't ask that question. But how how are you continuing to move forward with your, um, and how do you say Arnie? Is it, or is yeah, it Anne? Yep. Okay. Nope, Arnie. <laughs> Arnie, uh, okay. You know, once uh, once we raised venture capital, I really took a backseat because okay. the, the investors really want someone working on this full time. And I, I like engaging with the nurses. So I like the tech piece. I really want to be the guy that kind of marries them together. So I don't have much to do with this. The company is still running. There are some big systems in the Midwest using it. I will say we were before our time uh, now with, with chat GPT out there uh, and the technology is free. Like that's what we, we kind of built a, a version of that before it existed. Um, and still you can, dictate what information gets from it but i knew then hey this is this is the future and we need to get on board we need to get on board with this and get very comfortable in this space and i think vocera the wearables um that people use the vocera the vocera badges have been great to introduce workforces to uh, you know using voice to search databases and natural language processing so that's kind of the update there uh, more will come in this space um we will, I think we'll have nurses using natural language processing in their everyday workflows. Well, they are already with Vocera, but very, very soon in other aspects. You're before your time. And that is a piece around innovation, which I'm sure, I mean, you, you've written books around innovation and you could speak to it a bit more, but timing is a key thing and how to move uh, a new reality into, you know, practice. It has been something that I've grappled with my whole career of like, how do we change and bring forth change that I don't even think is that revolutionary, but it takes time. And a lot of the ideas that I've seen in the end, seen in my peers are ahead of their time. And then uh, like 10 years later, they're coming to life. So uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head with timing. Would you have any recommendations to our listeners about innovation or bringing that to life and you know, things that you've learned in the process of bringing, uh, you know, your ideas and and the way that you see the industry growing into a reality and into practice that others can also learn and, and start to take some of those nuggets of truth and implement as well. 
Uh, yeah, you know, there's a big soft spot for nurses right now. Everybody wants to help nurses, and rightfully so. The last couple of years have has been brutal, and it is true. Our bedside nurses are our greatest problem solvers. That's why we can cut corners so easy. So if you have an idea, there is a large network out there of nurse innovators, of nurse leaders. Uh, so reach out to those people because a path has already been forged. Um, you mentioned the book. Uh, I helped co-author a book called The Nurse's Guide to Innovation, which talks about taking a product from conception to commercialization. Uh, you can reach out to myself or any of the authors, but really on social media, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, there are a ton of nurses who are influencing this space uh, who can definitely connect you with the right people wherever you are with, with a certain concept or idea. And then it's important for um, CNOs like myself who are still at the in high roles, chief nursing roles at large systems to really embrace these and, and then be the influencers for this change and the advocates for this change uh, at the system levels. Mm. I'm sure you'll have a lot of listeners reach out to you about the book and the work that you've done. As you mentioned, uh, there's been many that have gone ahead and p- paved a path. And it's uh, it's helpful to learn from those that have. And you know what does it take to bring an idea to reality? And that's even part of the doctoral journey. Like if you look at research, it, Typically, it takes 17 years to get research into practice, which is like mind-blowing and astounding, and it, and it shouldn't be that way. But unfortunately, it has been tough to get new research, new ideas into practice. And so how can we accelerate healthcare to be nimble you know, and do you know, test concepts quickly, fail fastly, as you mentioned, but do so in a controlled way? I recognize that healthcare needs some safety and guardrails, but still... Be more open to those opportunities so we can truly test what works or doesn't work or innovate or riff off of where we need to make adjustments. Brian, this has been a really delightful conversation. You have helped me think differently around some innovation and definitely around, you know, the language and voice initiated ability of technology to help aid uh, the workforce and the clinician at the front line. What would you like to hand off to our listeners today as a final piece of advice? Think different. I keep going back to, and I often share the uh, Apple commercial um, titled Think Different. And I actually make my teams watch that occasionally. Uh, we really need innovators. We really need novel solutions. So if you have, a, if you have one, um, don't keep it to yourself and share it and reach out to people because we need to, things need to look very different. We need to come out of this pandemic with a new build. Uh, not a rebuild. It's not going to look the same. So we need everybody to kind of play a role in designing what this looks like because nobody's quite figured it out yet. New build, not a rebuild. That is a statement to end on. I 100% agree with you as we think about our profession, healthcare, and particularly the workforce. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I can't wait to hear more of the great work at Banner Health and the things that you're leading. And hopefully we'll check in in a year or so and you can share some of those results. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Take care. Thank you. We're open to those opportunities so we can truly test what works or doesn't work or innovate or riff off of where we need to make adjustments. Brian, this has been a really delightful conversation you have helped me think differently around some innovation and definitely around, you know, the language and voice initiated ability of technology to help aid 
the, the workforce and the clinician at the front line. What would you like to hand off to our listeners today as a final piece of advice? Think different. I keep going back to, and I often share the uh, Apple commercial um, titled Think Different. And I actually make my teams watch that occasionally. Uh, we really need innovators. We really need novel solutions. So if you have a, if you have one, um, don't keep it to yourself and share it and reach out to people because we need uh, things need to look very different. We need to come out of this pandemic with a new build, uh, not a rebuild. It's not going to look the same. So we need everybody to kind of play a role in de- designing what this looks like because nobody's quite figured it out yet. New build, not a rebuild. That is a statement to end on. I 100% agree with you as we think about our profession in healthcare and particularly the workforce. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. And I can't wait to hear more of the great work at Banner Health and the things that you're leading. And hopefully we'll check in in a year or so and you can share some of those results. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.